0: Hey everyone and welcome to the Living With Power Hope Podcast. My name is Lena Abijamra and I'm your host and I want to tell you that I am so glad you're here. Many of you know that I practice emergency medicine in my side job and here I am the doctor of hope and that's because we just focus on hope on this podcast. So every couple of weeks on the show I invite a friend to join me and we talk about all aspects of hope. And today's conversation I'm really excited about because I love the person I'm interviewing. and. Uh, Our goal is to talk about hope for the lonely. And this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart because many of you guys know I'm I'm single. I've written a lot about loneliness. And I believe that loneliness is an epidemic like no other right now in our country and in our culture. And so let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Uh, Her name is Rosoria Champagne Butterfield and she is well-known in the Christian world and outside of it. And she, to give you some of her uh, story, she's a former tenured professor of English and Women's Studies at Syracuse University. She came to Christ in 1999, and uh, she's gonna tell you a little bit about that, I think, during our conversation. But her first book tells her story, and that was the first time I was introduced to Rosaria. The book is called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. It is an easy read. I think I read the whole thing in about an hour and a half. And um, it tells the story of her conversion. And then she follows it up. Um, She's had a couple of books since then, but her most recent one is also where we're going to land in our conversation today. And it's a book that just came out a couple months ago. And it's called The Gospel Comes with a Housekeep, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. I think that title really explains it all, and so she's going to tell us how to do that. And so, Rosaria, so good to have you on. How are you?
1: Oh, Lena, it's so good to be here with you. I just wish we were sitting at the same table with a good, strong cup of coffee, though.
0: I it's would agree. I would agree. Okay. You might be a little cold in my basement. I had to move okay. down here. That's okay. I'd I, 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 I put some woolies on. That's fine. Oh, man. I, I Next time, I'm going to fly down to where you are, and we're going to do this in person. But today... Okay. I'm really excited to let my listeners um, take an introduction to you and listen to you. Many of you, many of them, know you. I know my assistant Irina wanted me to tell you that she absolutely loves you and and is wants to say hello. She came and heard you at the Gospel Coalition conference. But why don't you start by just sort of introducing ourselves uh, to you? Sort of, you know, give us a little, you know, tidbit of who Rosaria is.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that could take ten years. Um, I'll. I'll uh... Uh, Well, Rosaria is a mess. That's who Rosaria is. And and I stand in the risen Christ alone. Hmm. And that's the very good news. So right now I am a, you know, post-menopausal homeschool mom. (laughs) You're, you know, having... Been pounding my head against the the the, uh, the desk because this com- this computer that I'm borrowing isn't working so well. While my my 15 year old son, you know, has has some other computer issues going on. So um, so you know, in some ways, I look pretty cleaned up these days. Of course, that's a big fat lie. Um, hmm. I'm, a, I'm a pastor's wife in Durham, North Carolina. We uh, Kent and I have been married for 17 years, and we have adopted four children two out of foster care at the age of 17. Um, And that's a very, that's a subject that's very dear to me. And I, um, and I, you know, I love my children and I'm very blessed to be able to walk alongside them in this way. Um, But the gospel didn't come easily to me. Um, And I, you know, when people tell me that they get up in the morning and they just love Jesus, I, I wonder what they're talking about. Because I don't, I don't get up in the morning and just love Jesus. I get up in the morning, and I need to drive a, a, a fresh nail into my choice sin uh, before I can even think about loving Jesus. Um, mm. So, so that's you know, that's that's sort of where I am. So I'm I have a PhD in English literature and critical theory. I was a tenured professor at Syracuse University. I um, I have before I was a Christian published in the field of women's studies and queer theory. And when I came to Christ, I was um, very happily partnered in a lesbian relationship and was the leader on campus of a number of LGBTQ plus um, uh, um, uh, organizations as well as events. So um, I co-authored the first uh, domestic partnership policy at Syracuse University, which became the forerunner of gay marriage. And Mm -hmm. I I encountered the gospel. Uh, I don't know, maybe you don't want to say it's the gospel, but I encountered some aspect of the gospel at gay pride marches when people would hold up placards that showed that they were thrilled that I and everybody I loved was going to hell. And uh, I mean, seriously, right? Yeah. And, um, And then after tenure, I decided I was going to write a book on the religious right and why they... Hated people like me. And in the process, I had to read the Bible. And in the process, I also had the providential opportunity of meeting this old Christian couple who very ironically became my closest friends in the world. Mm. And it did not happen quickly. It's not like I walked in and then this meteor, you know, dropped on my head. And I was lobotomized, and here I am not not at all i mean i I read the Bible seven times over i I was in their home constantly um well let me I should reiterate I was in their home once a week for two years mm. uh, and while I was in their home once a week for two years, all kinds of other people were in their home also, and we would all pore over ideas of of philosophy and 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 theology and the Bibles were opened and people would would point to things and and talk about the Bible and use the Bible in a way that showed it wasn't some kind of museum piece, you know. Um, And it was the first time in my life I had ever met Christians who were not squeamish, who were not afraid to listen to my questions, who were not afraid to hold my heart. And for two years, I would argue with Ken and Floyd Smith and they would answer me patiently and love me and I'd go back to the university and I would mock them and I would teach thousands of college students to despise the Bible um not in not in any not in a way that seemed to me you know like over the top really just it was right. just sort of you know like this is just what intelligent people do you know intelligent people don't believe the supernatural stuff um and then after after two years of that, what happened was there were certain elements of the gospel that were so um, that were so uh, uh, compelling to me that I decided, well, maybe I'll just go to church and see what these people do. You know, like, what do they do? Do they <laughs> dance in the aisles? Do they, you know, you know, what do they do? What do people do in church? How would somebody like me ever know? So I went to church, and um, among other things, in this particular church, they sang the Psalms a cappella. Oh, and that wow, was wow. very powerful to me. I'm, a, I'm trained as a singer, I read music. Uh, A cappella four part harmony is, um, you know, it is so. It was it was so odd because the music was so beautiful, and the words of the psalms were so. Um, well, quite frankly, they were disgusting to me. Um, but I would go back for more, and mm. um, and then one day we were singing from Psalm one nineteen, and the, it's line fifty six, and the line goes something like this: um, Having kept your precepts, I have kept your law. And, um, and as it was, as I was singing this, two things happened. First of all, I realized that I was just a, you know, bald faced liar. I had never kept the law of God. I didn't even, I didn't even approve of the law of God. I thought it was, I thought it was homophobic. I thought it was sexist. I thought it was racist. I thought it was a violation of my personhood. Um, and it was the first time that I really felt a convicting rebuke of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, Whoa, what is this? Mm. Um, and then I realized that as these, this, this word, these words that were so anathema to my, you know, my, my worldview that they came out of my mouth, I realized that part of me really did want to keep God's law. Part of me really did want God to hear my prayers. And part of me wanted to have God's, um, will for my life breathed into my life. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think that was the moment of my conversion. It was certainly the moment of my undoing. And and after that, everything changed and nothing changed. Shortly after that, I committed my life to Jesus. And I'll tell you, the first thing that didn't happen is I did not stop having any kind of sexual love for women. My sexual love for women continued on for some time after my conversion. And so I tell people that I was not converted out of homosexuality. I was converted out of unbelief.
2: Mm.
1: Converted I was.
0: Well, that's interesting because, so, but did you know, even at that point, like, did you continue in the lifestyle or did you feel like internally you by then knew enough? Like, Did God change the way you even saw that or was it a progression?
1: Yeah. I mean, let me just tell you, Jesus ruined my relationship. Okay. There's no way around it. Um, and, and my, my partner at the time, she and I were fighting constantly and, um, and so definitely that relationship very providentially, it just, it was, you know, it was ruined. I became a bore. I became a no fun person and, um, and we broke up and, um, you know, we owned a house together and it was, you know, and it was, it was miserable and, 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 uh, she was a, um, a psychologist at an even more well known university in New York. And so I'm sure I'm the subject of some, some medical journals here. <laughs> you can look those up, Lena. But, um, but I wouldn't say, I'll tell you what, we didn't break up because I was morally convicted that I was in sin. But we did break up because I had become somebody whose life and interests were changing from the ground up. Oh. And it was after we broke up that I was really struggling with the question. I mean, part of me was, I I mean, after we broke up, it became a convenience in some ways. Um, It was convenient because I was by myself and I had to face things. Mm. And One of the things I had to face was what's the sin of my sexual desire? You know, here's the thing. You can't, you actually can't fight sin unless you see that it's sinful for a reason. Okay. So like if you say, well, it's just sinful because, you know, thousands of years of church tradition weigh against me. I'm gonna tell you what I think about that. The analogy that comes to mind has something to do with a donkey and a rodent. Okay. <laughs> you know, church tradition means nothing to uh someone like me who had just been railing against tradition her whole life. So I had to really come face to face with why my sexual love for women was a sin, you know? Yeah, I understand. And And what was it that, that, what changed in your thinking? Well, what changed in my thinking was this, that any, any relationship from a Christian worldview, Jesus mediates everything that is good, including our love for other people. So any any kind of relationship that isn't mediated by Jesus the Bible way calls it has a name for it it's called an idol mm. because you will anything you know it's ob- it's so much easier to love another person than Jesus I mean you can touch them you can talk right. to them you can manipulate them I mean that's the great joy don't you think Yeah yeah so so it's really hard um but so what I realized was that if I don't love other women through Jesus, then what I am doing is I am asking them to see me as their savior. Hmm. And furthermore, it also occurred to me that when you love other women through Jesus, what you do is you do not call them to anything that God hasn't already preordained as good. Yeah. And since the moral law of God is clear, um, and also I am, I am, I was in, and I still am in a reformed Presbyterian church. We use the Westminster Larger Catechism and the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and the Westminster Larger Catechism explains the Ten Commandments, and it explains that uh, the Ten Commandments have both. S- you can sin in these Ten Commandments by omitting something as well as committing something. And so one of the, one of the violations of the Seventh Commandment is actually homosexuality. Mm. And, I, you know, so this was something that I had to grapple with. And so the idea that I needed to love people through Jesus, and, I, and if I did that, that I would never ask someone to be my lover, With whom I wasn't biblically married, because I could never ask someone to see me as their savior or to violate their own their own standing before God. See, that's the thing about sexual sin; it actually it it, it is a more it is a more um, dangerous sin because it adds more than one person to it.
2: Right.
1: Uh, Well, and I want to sort of jump in for a second and talk a
0: little, lean into our topic about the lonely aspect of this because now you're like left pretty much
1: with no relationship but this old man and his wife, right? I mean, but not. not. Let me explain that to you because that's really good. That's I I wanted. I wanted to get there because this was a church that really believed that church is a family of God. Mm. So this is a church where even if you weren't a Christian, you would see the way these people lived and you would say, you know, they have something special. And it had to do with the way that the families, including the singles, they were part of each other's lives in a daily way. Wow. And, and, and I think that's biblical. And in fact, I think to not do that is sinning against people within the body of Christ. And so so what I say in the new book, and and, and I say this, I mean I wrote this new book because often I share with people my, my conversion and then I share with them what it was like to be in the company of Ken and Floyd Smith and this and this church, this church that really lived like a family of God. And sometimes people just walk away from me, rich young ruler style. And they say, well, Rosaria, you know, we're glad you're a Christian now. We're glad we can, you know, we can trust you with your, our children now. And we, you know, spend time with you, but you know, we pretty much would have loathed you back then. And none of us would have had the time or the energy to put up with what it was like to see you come to Christ. And, you know, in the post-Christian world, there's a lot more people like me out there. And, um, if, if the family of God lived like the family of God, and if unbelievers could 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 just observe us and say, "Well, you know, I don't know what it is about those people. I actually kind of think they're bonkers, but no one is lonely they 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 don't they they share their homes communally, they have communal meals um sometimes I can't park in the streets because they've got so many people over they um they take care of the sick. They take care of the old. They adopt children from all uh, this walks. This is in your walks. old church. That was the setting. You mean, or well, what I'm saying is that's the picture of the Christian life. What if, right. we, what if
0: right.
2: believing neighbors say that about well, us? Well, right, I, I
1: agree, and I think so. So when, when it comes to, I
0: mean, what, sexual sin, I think is so tied in, honestly, to the topic of loneliness because I think that a lot of lonely people end up in sexual sin because they want to feel good for a moment whether it's with another person, whether it's with pornography. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons, you know, why people go down that path, but I think by and large, it is a deep aching loneliness.
1: Yes, I agree. and, And I would say that biblically speaking, there are two people, two categories of people that you would expect to be achingly lonely. Those would be martyrs and political prisoners. And yet in so many of our conservative churches, we treat singles as though they ought to be martyrs and political prisoners. And that's just sinful. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know here's the thing about, about being single. That's how we all start out. And that's how we all end up. <laughs> and then ultimately we're all married to Jesus. How do you
0: practice? Like, so so yes, yeah, tell the person who might be listening, who's lonely, like, how do you feel
1: the presence of Jesus? Well, I think one of the best ways to feel the presence of Jesus is in the way that our union with Christ, which is God's gift to us at the moment of conversion, the way that that union with Christ is buoyed and webbed into the tapestry of our life through the company of other believers. Mm. And I think that that's a crucial part. And I would say if, if you've got your Bibles open... Um, if you can turn to Mark 10, um, because often we talk about the feeling, the company of Jesus in very spiritual ways. And often it is in Ephesians, you know, every spiritual breast blessing, mm. that's really important. But in Mark 10, Jesus tells us something very, very, um, significant about what it means to be a family of God. And it's, uh, Mark 10, chapters 28 to 30. And this is when Peter says to Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. With persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, I just think that so many people have read that, and they don't see that this is actually a material blessing, a hundredfold now in this time. That's good house, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands. You know that promise is simply not going to fall from the sky it's actually going to come from the hands of other believers in the church from what it means to be part of a family of god or it's not going to come at all but, but so how do you find that community well i think it i think that it's supposed to be part of all of our churches but i think our churches have become big party zones yeah. i really do and i think i think it you will not find it in a church that has thousands and thousands of people right and they don't know each other. It happens in the little community churches that love Jesus, love the Bible, maintain an integrity of what church membership means, including some of the challenges of that, which would be church discipline. And where um, where the church says to you, look, this is a cradle-to-grave mm. relationship. It's where old people and young people Gather together at the same Thanksgiving table. And it's where daily people are together who do not share the same last name. Because it's also a place where people are sacrificial with one another, where they don't create boundaries of selfishness. You know, I I am so sick of hearing about boundaries. Now, first of all, I'm Italian. Italians have no boundaries. Lena, you and I are alike.
2: What are boundaries? (laughs)
1: It's crazy, but but even beyond that, from a Christian perspective, your boundaries are supposed to be measured by the blood of Christ, not you know whether your house is clean, and your calendar is 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 completely empty. Um, and so we t- I talk in the book about an event that was really a tragedy in our neighborhood, and it was a tragedy that allowed our tiny little Reformed church community. And um, specifically, you know, specifically as it had a little outpost in this 1979 ranch house called the Butterfields, where the the Lord allowed us to, um, to learn that we needed to practice daily hospitality so that we could seek out strangers and live with them as neighbors and seek out neighbors and watch them become part of the family of God. And something crazy happened after I published this book. You know, every time, you, and you know this, Lena, you publish a book, you think, I'm a hypocrite. I'm a liar. It, it'll never be this good again. You know, like, it, it'll. I, I captured something that was, these were the, these were like the good days. And, and But just the opposite happened. Ever since the book was published, our family has been living communally with other families. What does that mean? That means that families have moved into our house. Really? Who have... Who have needed help and people from your neighborhood
0: or random people?
1: Well, I'll tell you. One was a family that was displaced by homelessness. Wow! And you know, a crazy thing happened the third day that we were all together. And I should tell you that there's a that our our church we have a tiny little church, but there are three families in our tiny little church that have been home studied through an organization called Safe Mm -hmm. Families. And Safe Families is a great organization, and it's the Christian response to um, Christian response to foster care. And so, when a family walked through the door of our church who had been displaced by homelessness, another family came, another another mom, another homeschool mom, came up to me, and and I'll tell you, I call her Vicky in the book. She's crazy. She's my crazy friend. She had fasted for three days, praying that God would make her useful. So I just think she was loopy. This family walks in the church and she looks at me and she says, Rosaria, the gospel comes with a house key. We've got oh, wow. this. And she says, You guys can move in with us, okay? That's you know? so crazy. That <laughs> was so crazy. And you should have seen you should have seen the look on her husband's face, too. You think it was crazy? <laughs> was she, she you had already had your book, or was that how you got your title?
2: The book had been out three so days, fabulous. you know? And she, no, it was hysterical. But you know what
1: happened? So this is a family that had immigrated here and wow. they, they did, but you know, on the third night, so here's two families in the church working collaboratively to, to house a family displaced by homelessness. And on the third day, cause you know, there's a lot to do. There's clothes, there's yeah. food, there's kids, there's school, there's, there's figuring out the zones of the house, there's everything. And on the third day, we're finally like, it feels like we finally could take a deep breath. And um, and you know, we had had family devotions every night after that. But on the third day, you know, Kent leaned in and said, "Well, you know, we've shared the gospel. We want to know what you think." And this family said, "Well, we're already Christian. We 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 joined this church back in our country. So who knew wow. this was? So when you brought them like in, you day day, didn't day, even day, know that day. they were
0: followers. You were just like, felt like no. wow."
1: I Are they know, still with
0: you now? But no, no, because yeah. it even
1: gets better. It, it gets better because um, there's an elder in a large Baptist church who's also a friend of ours. And we shared what was going on. And, and you know what? He owned an apartment mm. that he was willing to sacrificially lease. Wow. Kind of no, no questions asked wow. for a, a fee that was much less than what he could have gotten. And so, so no, this family spent about six weeks between our home and this other home in our church, right. So that we could, you know, and we, we all work together and the kids all started fighting like cousins over the last piece of bacon. And, yeah. you know, it, it was, it, it, and, um, and, awesome. and now, now they live in their own place and we see each other socially and we worship together and, we still do some kid care together. Do you, and, think,
0: you, know, do you during think God the, gives the gift of hospitality more to some people? Like, do you have that gift or have you grown in obedience in that gift?
1: Well, I think it helped that I never, you know, I, I think that you, like all of the gifts that God calls you to, quite frankly, they're filthy rags, but God puts them to service. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so um, now I am Italian, which means, of course, I love to cook for people, yeah, right? I yeah. just do. It's something I love to do. I mean, to me, having a pot of soup, uh, you know, on the stove is just yeah. normal because all these kids are, you know, like right now. I'm talking to you, trying to be, be, be quiet, and I've got all these kids standing outside my door. You know, where's food? You know, it's a and, and only two of them have the last name Butterfield. You know, this is a, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just it's it's madness around here. So um, so I do enjoy that, but I I think. I don't think it's a matter of working from your gifts. Mm. I think it's a matter of working collectively in the church saying the homes of Christians are not castles, but their embassies and their outposts. Now, whose home are we all going to outpost yeah. from? Because yeah. the truth is some homes are better set up than others, um, maybe because of location Maybe because of ability, this is a ranch home with a um, some bars. My mom, before she passed away, lived here, so we are totally set up for babies and old people, and that makes it, you know, that that's that's accessibility. That's important. So I would definitely say that structurally speaking, you want to look at the homes in the church that that aren't um, that aren't inaccessible. The other thing is, you will not find fancy stuff in this yeah. home. Um, you know, you might find a few dishes that match, but you know, good luck on that one. Okay, um, it's not going to intimidate anybody. Um, it's um, you know, so so I think that certain um, you know certain homes might have a better accessibility reach, but technically, hospitality is a it's a requirement for, for elders and church leaders, mm-hmm. but it is a um, it is a commandment for everyone in the church. Now, what I I don't think everybody has to do it in the same way. And that's where we get tripped up. We, you know, we've, we, we do get tripped up on that. And it, and it makes me sad to think that maybe my book might be tripping up people in that way too. I mean, I think the truth is you want to do what you do and open your arms a little wider. And so here's what that might mean. Why are your Christmas dinners exclusive to people and why aren't they inclusive? You know why? Why can't why can't anybody come to your Christmas dinner? Why can't anybody come to Thanksgiving? And by anybody, I mean anybody, certainly within the family of God, but also leaving leaving a clear room for those people who are lonely. Why can't the church anticipate that holidays are going to be very difficult for people who have just gone through a breakup or who are suffering from, um, from, uh, you know, an obvious issue like a miscarriage or, um, um, you know, or just having moved here. Uh, I don't think that singleness needs to be equated with loneliness, but I think that, that everybody benefits from having dinner together. Well, at Christmas, I mean, I I I was was on Christmas Christmas. Day and we had a people
0: call in and I mean, they were like, Singles Christians in churches who are eating at like
1: the country buffet alone. This to me is terrible. Well, I mean, and I mean, that's that is why that is part of why we are in a post-Christian world, because you know so much of the Obergefell decision to legalize uh, same-sex marriage was grounded in the idea that it's not fair that people who who struggle against or struggle with or embrace homosexuality be relegated to crushing loneliness. You know what? It's not fair. It is not fair. It is not right. It is not Christian that, that in the church, theologically speaking, we are all born in Adam, which means that we are all born with a set of desires that are contrary to what God has called us to be. So for me and for others, that thumbprint might very well be an unchosen homosexuality. Now, um, what that means is that God will give you the power that was rendered on the cross. That's not just a makeup thing. That's the real deal. The blood of Christ changes everything. It's the most powerful substance in
2: all of uh,
1: all of all of culture and history and, and everything in between. Um, and it does not, it does not make an ally with the sin it crushes on the cross. And so, so, um, God asks hard things of people, but part of how he equips you, he equips you to live out those hard things is the joy and the comfort of the body of Christ, which means that after a long day of work, and certainly, Lena, your your job, you probably see horrific things in your job. And after a long day of work, you don't go home to emptiness. You go home to your family of God for a meal and for a time of of of, of prayer together. And then you go where you need to go. I mean, you know, not everybody wants to live with the butterfields, not everybody wants to pick cat hair out of their cereal. You know, I understand that. There are standards. Right. Some people have high ones and some people don't. But, you know, it's not. The picture know. that you're painting,
0: I mean, it's so appealing on one hand. On the other, it sounds so foreign and it almost in the context of the church. And it almost is, I
2: That's agree.
0: And I, I just, I think about like, so what, you know, I think about all the people I know who struggle with loneliness and seasons in my life where, you know, I've had to work holidays and found myself literally with nowhere to go. My family's up in Wisconsin. And, and I think, man, where do you start? Where where do you start telling people that, you know, like, where do people even begin? I mean, I'm going to move to North Carolina. I hear you talk about this. And I think, like, I I don't know where you can find these communities because I don't think they're as
1: common as you think they are. You make them, you make them, but it starts with a godly imagination. It starts with looking at the book of Acts and saying, I, I want Mm. that. I want my home to be an outpost. I want that. And so it starts with some very clear things. I mean, you know, and first of all, I will tell you that this happened to us because when Kent and I got married, we were the only believers in our families. You know what that meant? That meant you had two very lonely people now getting married. And, and you know, there's only one good response, I think, to loneliness. and And that's saying the Bible doesn't call us to that. Yeah. And so, and so the idea that you would actually budget, that you would double your food budget so that you would be prepared for daily hospitality or the fact that you would rethink your home, um, maybe intentionally living below your means so that there was just more room for people, more, more room because you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you know, stuck doing, you know, soccer practice every night of the week or whatever. But also more room you know actually physically in in the home and, and also that you that you you think about inviting people in a way that's open and hmm. regular you know and here's what I think mean by that we, we live in a culture that not only has a crisis of loneliness it has a crisis of yeah. addiction and sometimes Christians think I'm being so noble I'm going to invite my neighbors the Joneses over uh, next Tuesday at 6:30. well, if the Joneses are like most people in the world, they don't know if they're going to be sober or safe next Tuesday at 6:30. And so even the invitation comes with an edge of exclusion that you might not even know about. And so it's important to think about inviting people in a very open way and and we use the Nextdoor oh. app to do that. And we we really do. We just we just we'll just put it out there and say, you know, we're going to well and we did it especially when we've had trouble like after we were yeah. robbed. We had everybody over as a cookout after um, our, our, there was a meth lab discovered across the street. We, we, uh, and we were the friends of the person who was incarcerated now. And so we would just put something out on the Nextdoor app that said, look, we know that this terrible thing has happened. We know that you guys are angry and hurt and scared. And we want to create a place where we can talk about it and pray about it. So everybody come over at three o'clock after church on Sunday and, you know, we'll grill and you bring a friend and a lawn chair. And, you know, that goes out to 300 houses. And two things happen when you invite 300 households to something. Uh, First of all, literally everybody Mm -hmm. feels loved. And even if they think you're a wacky Christian who's you know, whose theology is bonkers, it's really hard for them to say you're a hater because you've just now invited them Mm -hmm. to something. Everybody feels loved, and especially the people who are lonely. And you'll get private messages from people. Nobody's invited me to anything since the divorce. I can't come because I'm shut in, but could somebody come and help me with this? I mean, you get all kinds of things. But the other thing that happens is, look, about 10% of the people come. Because you know what? People are busy. But but because it's an open invitation, um, it does mean that they feel less intimidated to come. And so we, we sort of built on that. And every Thursday night, at our, our home is an open house for our neighbors. We call it soup and prayer. Um, I just have a big pot of soup and, you know, we have soup. And then neighbors come over and Kent has been leading us through a study in the parables of Jesus. And then we pray. And some of my neighbors are Christians. Some aren't. Most aren't. Um, those who are Christians are Christians in a, in, a, in a church that would look very different from ours. Uh, We think that's fine. We think that's great. We'd say, "Hey, look, you know what? We probably can't put a church together, but if we can't put a neighborhood together,
0: what good are we?" Do people leave at the Bible study time, or do they sort of are like, is there are they curious enough to stay?
1: Most stay, some leave. Sometimes Christians leave because they have to go pick up kids at a you know at a soccer event or something. I mean, we don't take it personally, Um, but it also creates a very leisurely pace, which is different and it and it speaks against the polarization of culture. You know, even 10 years ago, you could vote differently with people and yeah. still play yeah. cards with them. Today, that's like yeah. that's crazy talk. And we need to get back to that. You because have you know, rules it's like you just don't talk politics. Do- like how do you, you know, it's so crazy, you're right. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't we don't have rules. In fact, we we our rules are come as you are and and bring whatever questions and concerns you have. You know, have. I thought the other day and uh, so we, I
0: I get so stressed about how small my house is. And I like I'm single, I don't yeah. cook and and I'm always I thought I thought of buying a bigger house, which is stupid, right? I mean, cuz who needs the... What do you think of
2: that?
1: I have a friend. I have a friend who um um is is single and in her um her late forties and she intentionally bought a big house for the purpose of doing that. She has a, a very well-paid job. And you know what? Her house is like a wow. little debris. It's lovely. And I always stay there when I'm in that part of the country. It's my favorite place to stay. I never know who's going to be there. I never know with whom I'm going to bump in into on the way to the bathroom with my toothbrush in my hand. Oh, I love wow. it. That's cool. It's phenomenal. It's so cool. So no, I I would say, um, but I also think small is good too. Small we make excuses, cozy, huh? You know. we. I mean, I think. Well, I, I, I think I don't, I don't, I don't think the burden is on single people mm-hmm. though to do this. I think, I think the the issue is that in a church, if if we're members of a church, Lena, let's say you and I, I'd in the be same at your church. house every Thursday. If you, well, you could be at my house every day. We have singles in our
2: church. We're at wow. our house every day.
1: I mean. The, those are the people who 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 like save my emotional, you know, meltdown at wow. the end of a homeschool day. You know, so no no no, we we gather we gather every day with our church family and especially with the singles. But um but I we would look at each other as covenant households. So you have a married covenant household and you have a single covenant household, but we would respect you as a covenant household and I would even go so far as to say that that we would want our covenant households to know that they are, you know, they have immediate access to us all the time. I mean, when we say the gospel comes with a house key, we really mean it. Um, I have people who text me pictures of my awesome. house key from all over the country. Remember when you, you know? But, but I would, but I would also say that we need to think about this in terms of what's next. You know, we have tens of thousands of teenagers yeah. in foster care. Who will never be adopted by a mom and a dad, and that's because these children, many of whom have been sexually abused, they will either go to a single household or they will go to a same-sex household. I know many single Christians who feel called to stepping into the lives of a teenager in foster care, and we believe the church should support you in doing that. We also know that that's hard. And so we would want you to know that we're the after-school help. That's amazing. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a lot we can do together that we can't do individually. And the the vision of personhood that we have in scripture is that we are image bearers of a holy God. That is an inherently relational image. We are not little, you know... uh, islands unto Which sadly has
0: become the state of so, most churches. I, I, this is so good. Well,
1: you know, I want to, I, I
0: know we're that. coming towards the end here and this honestly, Rosario, I could talk to you forever, but I want you to, maybe as we wrap things up and this is a bit out of left field in some ways, but I think this is important and I don't know that I'm going to have you, you know, you're so busy with cooking meals. and soup but, but how do you tell the, the, the person in the, the church, maybe who, who's coming to church who still struggles with same-sex attraction and is so confused by all of the opinions in the Christian world.
1: Yes, yes. We know uh, that is, I would say that that is the category of people I am most concerned about right now because it must feel like you're being torn apart by wild horses. You have the culture saying, just be yourself. You have the neo-orthodox um soon to be liberal arm of the church saying, well, hey, you're a gay Christian and just build that identity. And then often you have the conservative end of the church saying, well, you know, as soon as you get married, biblically speaking, you know, you can talk to me. And so, you know, it's just, it's a terrible thing. But what I would say is, is biblically speaking, what you need to know is that having the thumbprint of Adam on you is called Life After Genesis 3. We are all born in Adam. And even after we are redeemed in Christ, while we are given a new nature, we are not lobotomized. Our new nature and our old patterns have a pretty constant war. And that's why I said in the beginning of this podcast, I don't wake up loving Jesus. I wake up needing to drive a fresh nail into my choice sin every day. And so do you. But you know what? It's a lot easier to do yeah. together. So, so yes, we grow in sanctification. Yes, if God chooses to change or modify or or even deaden some of those sexual desires that are not pleasing to him, he will. And yes, you will grow in union with Christ and union with Christ will become bigger and more powerful and you will be able to, to literally in your prayer life, reach up to heaven and bring down the power of the gospel to bear. But we don't do this alone. And a famous a famous, you know, passage from 1 Corinthians 10:13, um, no temptation will befall you except for that which is common to man and God will give you a way of escape. What if what if a home in the church is the way of escape, but it's locked? You know, it's locked. You locked your doors. You know, I think that we are each other's. We are each other's um, helpers in this moment. That we are each other's way of escape. Sin thrives in isolation and loneliness, and so can you be a thriving Christian and struggle against same sex attraction? You bet you can. Struggle in God's way, and you're a hero of the
2: oh, hero man, of
1: the faith. So Honestly,
0: if you connected with any part of this conversation. Um, specifically about the conversation about same-sex marriage. I think your book, um, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert is probably my top five favorite books. I just thought it just was so readable and good. I just enjoyed it so much. So thank you for writing and thank you for making the time to be here with a gaggle of kids waiting outside your door.
1: I'm surprised you haven't heard them. This is really funny. Maybe you have. Maybe you think it's just no,
0: no, they're not, not even it. really good. In fact, uh, uh, I'm gonna just wrap things up here. Just again, just so, so thank you for your time. Hey, if you're listening, remember you can reach me at lina at livingwithpower.org. Um, I believe everything that Rosaria just said, and I believe this concept of hospitality and I um, will be looking for ways to practice that more even though I am single and so if you are hurting out there if you're lonely I would love to hear from you Lena at livingwithpower.org we want to help you connect to a church body a community of believers if you have questions about the faith and you just landed on this site please email me and we will be we will do our best to connect you um, and to give you the answers that maybe uh, would might help you so with that in mind I'm going to end this conversation it's our longest date, but I believe every minute of it was worth it have an awesome day